Two weeks ago, I shared with you very openly about my struggles and how God has us serving right now because it seems so different from what we were called to do. And uh, I had some questions following, you know, they, some people thought I was getting ready to announce resignation here. It's like, <laughs> no, it was how every day I've had to come back to God and say, is this really what you have for us now? right now because there are seasons of life where God leads you into different types of ministry. There's seasons of life where there's different relationships. And there comes seasons in life where you face forward and you think, God, that can't be right. <laughs> no, that just doesn't seem right. And there's times where we struggle and then there comes those times where we actually began to suffer and hurt. And I titled the message, you know, Are You Worthy to Suffer? And I realized that's the wrong title. Because everybody's going to suffer in life. Everybody's going to feel pain. Everybody feels sadness. There's some people that go through life and they never really experience joy and happiness. That everybody's going to feel sadness. Everyone's going to suffer. So the real title should be, Are You Worthy to Suffer for Christ? Are You Worthy to Suffer for His Name? And that should be the proper title. We had also shared as we've been going through Acts how the um, uh, apostles were first arrested. And John talked about their courage that they had in the face of opposition, in face of the government leaders. Remember, in Israel, there was not a separation of church and state. Church was state. Religious leaders were the government leaders. There wasn't a separation. And so as they stood before the religious leaders, they were standing before their government leaders. It was one and the same. And today we see how the persecution escalates a little bit more. So if you'll open your Bibles to Acts chapter 5, and we'll start at verse 17 and read through the end of the chapter. It's a really long passage. I'll try to not stutter much. If I lose my place, just kind of mark it with your finger. I'll get back to it. it just, just let me come back. Beginning in Acts chapter 5, verse 17. And the high priest rose up and all who were with him that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, when the high priest came, those who were with him, and they called together all the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, 
and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them and wondering what this would come to. Some people came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses to these things, so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of, of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up and in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished. And all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this is the plan, if, for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to, over, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Heavenly Father, together we have read your word. Lord, show us what you want to teach us. Speak to each and every heart here individually, but also, Lord, speak to us collectively as a body, as your family, as your children. 
as we have gathered together to bow before the Father. Father, we ask you to teach us. And it's in the name of Jesus. Amen. This is a rather long passage of Scripture. It's not only difficult for me to read, but it's difficult for me to condense down into one sermon. There were at least seven topics I found that's like, oh, I wish I could preach a whole sermon on that. Oh, I wish I could. It's just like I kept going through and finding more and more things. It's like, oh, man, I wish we had more time. But as we go through this passage, I want you to try to picture with me what it was like. Try to put yourself in that place. Remember, the apostles were everyday people. They were fishermen. They worked. Matthew was a government person, worked in the tax office. But most of them, they just worked every day. They caught fish. They, uh, Jesus grew up in a carpentry shop. You know, they were ordinary people. Think about what it was like for them. What would you do in their place? Let's look again at verse 17 and 18. Going back to the beginning of the passage, I just want you to picture what's happening. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. It was jealousy on the part of the leaders, that these uneducated, ordinary people who stunk like fish, because that was their profession, um, here they are in the temple. They're preaching people, or preaching to the people. They're winning. Multitudes are turning to Christ. As Pastor John was talking about last week, there was miracle after miracle after miracle. There were signs and wonders. And the people are just standing there in awe of what God is doing. And the religious leaders are jealous. That should be us. It shouldn't be those guys. It should be us. That's what's burning in their heart. It wasn't what is God doing. It was burning in their heart. It should be us, not them. It was jealousy. I'll tell you what, sometimes we see a lot of jealousy in ministry today. It's sad, but it still happens. And so it was out of jealousy, the religious leaders had the apostles arrested. Now, we don't know how many and which one of the apostles, if it were all 12 of them or if there were some of them, it just says the apostles so I kind of assume the whole group, but Scripture doesn't actually tell us which ones. We know Peter's leading the charge. Peter was that guy that while Jesus was still on earth, every time he spoke up except for once, he really blew it. He said the wrong thing all the time. And then suddenly the Holy Spirit gets a hold of him, and he's always saying the right thing at the right time. 
you know, it just totally changed, been powered by the Holy Spirit. We don't know which ones of the apostles, we don't know how many of them were arrested. Some or all of the apostles were taken into custody and put in public prison, which I'm assuming was not a very nice place. You know, in all of our modern conveniences, I've been to visit friends who were in jail, and I will tell you, even in the United States, public jail is not the nice place. It really isn't. And I can only imagine what it was like for them that it was probably something like a cave with barred windows or, or with barred doors that they would be put into, locked away, and this was where all the criminals went. This is public prison. This isn't for religious leaders. This was your common criminals. And that's where they were put. And they walked into the jail and heard the doors close behind them. And they were locked and there were guards outside. The apostles walked into their jail cell and they're locked away did they know what was coming they had seen Jesus crucified is this their time is it going to be like last time threatened and released they have no idea what is coming and I'm sure they were as shocked as anybody when During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go stand in the temple and speak to all the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, what would you do? Again, put yourself in their place. These are ordinary people. They are like you and me. They're ordinary people. You've been locked up. You've been in jail. An angel opens the door and lets you out. Where would you go? I think we'd be running home. You know, it kind of like if you ever had a dog that's been pinned up when they've really needed to be out running, you open that cage door, or we used to have a dog that loved to run, and we'd let him off the chain, and you wouldn't see him. He would take off and be gone. And I, I think that would be the tendency is, one, is this really happening? Or let's just get out of here. Let's go. It doesn't say they discussed it, though. The angel let them out, opened the door, let them out, and said, go back to the temple and start teaching again. So what did they do? They went back to the temple. They did what the angel told them to do. See, they knew angels were God's messengers, They do what God tells them to do, and when an angel brings a message, it is from God. And so they knew it was God's command, it was God's instruction, and they followed in obedience. They've just been arrested, 
They get let out miraculously, and here they go again. Here they, it's like they're right back out in the temple, and they're teaching the people. And just think, I, I have to wonder, what was it like for them to walk back in to that temple? Well, here comes daybreak. Now, when the high priest came, those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these things, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. The prison was still locked up. They gathered together every high priest. He has final authority. You've got all of the people around him. Then they bring in the whole council, which would include the Pharisees. Then they get the senate of the people of Israel. This is everybody who's anybody. If you're important, you were at that meeting. You're sitting there. You're going to pronounce judgment on these men. He's okay, bring the prisoners. And they go to get the prisoners. And just think... What was it like? They walk up to the prison door. The prison's still locked. It's still locked. They have to get the key to open the door. They open the door. The guards walk in and nobody's home. (laughs) It's empty. Don't forget the guards, the officers, They're ordinary people too. They're doing their job. They're jailers. They're just doing their job. They open the door. They look inside. And the prison's empty. Oh, can you imagine what it was like for them? Can you imagine what it was like for the guards outside that door? When they open the door, they've stood there all night long. The guards have been there all night. They've guarded them, and it's empty. Remember, in that time, if a prisoner escaped, if you were lucky, you would go to prison as the guard. If you let a prisoner escape, it could have been instant execution. It could have been you are assigned to take those prisoners' place. But it was not uncommon. In fact, we read that later in Acts when it happens again, where the guards were executed. It could have been facing the death penalty there for those guards. And they're standing there and they're like, no, we were here all night. No, who opened the door? 
Nobody opened the door. Yes, somebody had to let him out. We were here all night. Nobody opened this door. Can you imagine the argument that had to be going on? The officials, they're scared. They had to be scared. And then all of a sudden, the officers, they have to go back and tell every government official. They have to go back and report. Remember, every important person in the city was there. And they had to go back and they had to stand and say, the prison was locked and nobody was inside. And the council's like, oh, what now? What now? The leaders, they weren't saying, man, was this a miracle. They weren't thinking about what was God doing. They're thinking, what is this going to come to? Man, we try to stop these guys and now here they're gone. And what is this going to come to? That was the question they're asking. It is, it's like they're, 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 they're not thinking anything about what God's doing. They're thinking about how to stop this thing. What now? What is this going to come to? The question that they were worried about was totally wrong question. (laughs) The real question is, what's God doing? It should have been asking questions, making them wonder to see God's hand at work. And here they are, they're talking about it. Well, what's going to happen now? Man, these guys are gone, they escaped. We're going to look like fools in front of the Roman guards and stuff. We're going to be looking like idiots. And, and somebody comes up and says, hey, you know those guys you arrested? <laughs> look at verse 25. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Picture what it was like for the apostles to be standing there preaching in the temple. I have to wonder, was it kind of like, Man, I can't wait to see what their faces look like when they were not there. <laughs> you know, was there a little bit of that going on? I don't know. It didn't say that, but it's human nature makes me wonder. Man, it's going to be so funny. <laughs> They're going to be looking for us and there's nobody there. <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe they'll leave us alone this time. Oh, no, here comes the guards. <laughs> here come. The police are coming again. Here they are. They know they're going to be arrested. And they take them into custody again. Notice how it says not by force. The guards were actually afraid of the crowds because these are the people that have been getting healed. The people around the apostles are the ones that have seen the miracles. They're the ones that have been touched by God and the, the officers are afraid to arrest them. They're not going in with handcuffs to lead them off. 
the apostles went willingly. Didn't have to be forced. Come on, guys. Let's go. We want you to stand before the council. And they just went. They didn't have to be forced. They went and stood before the council. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you, here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood on us. They were still blind to who Jesus was or who Jesus is. Excuse me. Jesus died and he's still the Savior. He rose again. They were missing who Jesus is. And there's like, you're gonna, you, you want to blame us for his death. They were guilty. They were guilty of killing the Messiah. They had done it. And they didn't want to face up to what they had done. They didn't want to admit that they missed the boat back then. That's a natural human tendency. Human beings don't like to admit mistakes. Sometimes whole businesses and corporations get destroyed because leaders won't admit they made a poor decision and they have to start over. That's what my dissertation was on where, where CEOs or executive leaders that made a decision they find out later was not the best decision. And they openly shared what it was like for them as organizational leaders, it's hard for human beings, especially someone in a leadership position, to say, man, I was wrong. I was wrong. It's difficult. It's difficult for all people. But when you've stood in front of somebody and you've stood in front of your people and you said, this is the way. This is the decision. These are the Pharisees. These are the, the Sadducees. These are the priests that incited the crowd to cry out, crucify him. It's the same men. And they can't open their eyes to who Jesus is. But Peter, Peter, and they were told not to teach about Jesus Peter said, we must obey God rather than men. The Bible teaches that the only time it's okay for us to disobey laws is when it's in contrary to God's law. If it contradicts God's law, then we have to obey God rather than man's statutes and his rules. In countries today where it's not legal to share about Jesus Christ, people are still getting arrested, but they're obeying God's law. Peter and the others wanted to obey God, and they did what God told them to do. 
Peter said, and he stood up and he said, we're witnesses to this. Remember back in Acts chapter 2, when Jesus told them about the coming of the Holy Spirit, he said, you're going to be my witnesses. Peter uses that word several times after that, that we are witnesses to this. He's doing what Christ told him to do right before Jesus ascended back up into heaven. Peter wanted to obey God no matter what. And Peter went on as he, as he was sharing with them. He said, The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. And we are witnesses to these things, so that the, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. They were giving witness to what God was doing. They stood as witnesses for Christ. And he gets right to the heart of the gospel. Jesus died. And Jesus rose again. And that's where we find salvation. That's where we find forgiveness of sins. I mean, he condenses it's a long message in reality, but he just in a few sentences, you killed him. God raised him from the dead, and through him comes the forgiveness of sin. Oh, Peter also confirms that the Holy Spirit is proclaiming Christ, and he also confirms that the Holy Spirit is given to all who obey him. Not just one or two, it's not select, it's all who obey Christ and follow Christ are given the Holy Spirit. And what happened in the council? When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men for the days for, excuse me, for before these days, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished. And all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan is, for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even, you might even be found opposing God. So they take his advice. Now, I've heard sermon after sermon, and I actually have to say, I have preached about the wisdom of this man. This was a respected teacher of the law. He was the one that taught Saul, who became Paul. This was the Apostle Paul's mentor and teacher of the law. And he gave them... Terrible advice. 
It's absolutely horrible advice. Don't follow his advice. He was a teacher of the law, and he should have known who Jesus was. He should have known. He is the person that should have been standing before the council saying, Scripture teaches that the Messiah is going to suffer and die. This Messiah is the Christ, and we must turn and follow what Christ is doing. He's the man that should have been doing it. He was a respected teacher of the law. And he was so caught up in his own tradition, he knew, he knew that false prophets would arise, but he couldn't see the true prophet. He couldn't see the true Messiah. He had head knowledge of the Scripture. He knew Scripture well. Pharisees, they, they, they memorized Scripture They studied it. They knew it well. And he had it here. But the heart was hard. He couldn't see the truth. He is the one that should have said, like Peter did, repent and be baptized. It should have been him instead of those fishermen. Remember Jesus' words to Nicodemus? When Nicodemus came and is talking to Jesus, and Nicodemus became a believer, but he was afraid to admit it public uh, uh, until the very end. It, he wouldn't publicly admit it, but Jesus was talking about being born again, and Nicodemus, he said, man, a man, a grown man, I can't go back into my mother's womb and be born again. That'd be a little painful for mama. And Jesus said, you know, those that are born of spirit are spirit. Those are born of flesh are flesh. And Nicodemus says, how could this be? Jesus' question to him, are you a teacher of Israel yet you do not understand these things? You're a teacher of the law. You should be understanding the spiritual birth. You should be the one teaching it. And the same thing can be said about Gamaliel. That he should have been the one proclaiming Jesus is the Christ. He should have been the one with understanding. Do not take his advice to wait and see. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait To follow Christ later. Now we've got 2,000 years of Christianity. That you see that it didn't die out. But the same thing can be said for other religions. Same thing can be said for cults. It's not just that it didn't die out. It's that the Holy Spirit is drawing witness to who Christ is. Do not put it off with wait and see. Follow Christ today. Don't wait and see. That was his advice. Let's just wait and see what happens. No. Take your stand for Christ today. Don't follow his advice. 
be or follow the advice like Peter had given before to repent, turn to Christ, find forgiveness for your sins, the refreshment for your soul, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Don't wait. The council took the advice of the Pharisee, of this this, uh, religious leader. So they they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now in this translation, it says they beat them. Uh... The New American Standard, which is my usual study Bible, that is, it says they flogged them. Some translations will say they whipped them. It wasn't a gentle beating. It wasn't a love tap. And Rami, it was worse than the teacher that used to whack your knuckles at school. They flogged them, and the typical flogging was 39 lashes that they would receive. And when I was a kid, I grew up on a farm, and we had a bull whip. We didn't actually use them on the cows because that hurt the cows (laughs) because it could be painful. I remember one time I was climbing up the rope, and the preacher's kids were over, and one thought he was going to scare me and pop the whip right close to me, and he got me with a pair of shorts on. And it hurt, but it didn't even break the skin. If one little pop hurt like that, could you imagine if they were using the cat of nine tails where they're every lash, 39 lashes times nine? The pain, the torture that they went through, the physical pain. It would have been horrendous pain. The physical pain would have been terrible. Verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They rejoiced they were counted worthy. And you notice how it says to suffer dishonor or shame in the, in, uh, the New American Standard. Your different translations will use a different word for that. But cultures is a little bit on dealing with different worldviews. There are some cultures that it's right or wrong or guilt and innocence and especially in the western part of the world that's our focus you're guilty before god and you're going to find forgiveness of your sin you're going to be found innocent in the day of judgment because we really base on whether someone is guilty or not guilty that's really a western mindset But then there are some cultures that are shame or honor-based. Now, in the Western world, we have a hard time understanding 
But you that, that come from cultures where to dishonor your family is the worst thing you could do. It is a shame and honor. You don't shame the family. And it's really very strong in, in cultures that, that it's, where it's a collective family or even a whole village. You have to honor the village. You have to respect and, and show um, uh, honor. And you can't shame them. And so the shame culture, we see that a lot uh, in the Eastern. You see it very heavy in the Middle East. The family honor has to be protected. Or the clan honor, or the city, or even nation. And we see this in these Jewish believers. That it wasn't the physical pain that was the worst. They went, we suffered dishonor for him. Now, some cultures, especially in animistic societies, it's based on fear. Um, Fear or power, you need to appease the gods. uh, Often living in fear of the evil spirits that are in places. And every culture has some mix of that, but you lean heavily, more heavily toward one or the other. And so these men were from a culture that held honor as one of the supreme values. And so they walked out and said, we suffered shame for him. And they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. Some years ago, there was a uh, a man from India that was here in Debritson working with another ministry. And we were doing prayer walking in an area where we were hoping to start a church. And we were going around the apartment buildings and praying. And we're talking about when we share Christ, so we often stress that Christ is worth suffering for. <laughs> And the man, he told me, he said, in my country, everybody suffers. He said, we can't tell them if you follow Christ, you'll start suffering. I said, no, I don't think you understand what I'm trying to say. I'm not saying that you'll start suffering, but to find something worth suffering for. Everybody's going to suffer. Everybody's going to feel pain. Everybody's going to feel sadness. Everybody's going to feel shame. But it's a very different thing to suffer for Jesus Christ. That's why I said the title I have is actually wrong. Are you worthy to suffer for Him? And you notice how they were counted worthy. They saw That in God's eyes, it was actually them being found worthy followers. And what did they do? After they were just beaten and commanded, you will not teach in his name. They have just been flogged. They went through the the pain. They went through the shame of being publicly beaten in front of everybody. 
And they went right back to the temple, not just once or twice, every day the apostles were going to the temple and from house to house. The church was so big, you couldn't fit everybody in the temple anymore. The apostles had to go house to house to gather people together to teach them. I wish I could do a whole sermon just on this last verse of the passage about meeting together, how important that is, yet never forsaking the house to house and the teaching that's in the, the small group. But they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Well, I wish I could preach a whole sermon on this one verse. Today, I really want to come back to that question I asked at the beginning. Are you worthy to suffer shame for His name? Now, that always starts in first person. Am I worthy? Well, in one sense... None of us are because we're his sheep. We're, he's, he's the God. But through his redemption, do people see enough Christ in us that they would want to persecute us, that they see a need to persecute us? Jesus promised persecution to all those that want to follow him. Paul said, everyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. Years ago at uh, university, Carolyn and I had a professor that uh, I really loved him because he actually taught the Bible, not books about the Bible. He really taught the Bible. And he was one of those modern day prophets that when he stared at you, you don't ever lie to him because he could just bore a hole right through you. I mean, you, when you stared at him, you just like, yes, sir. It, it was just like Old Testament Elijah. Um, he was a fiery prophet of God. And he was told us one day, it was an intensive study of angels. No, excuse me. Intensive study of the book of Revelation. Excuse me. He was talking to us in class one day, and he was preaching a revival service in the evening, same time the class was going on, and he preached on, if you live a godly life, you will suffer. And she said, a lady came up to him one night after the service, and she said, well, I can tell you, I have never had to suffer for my faith. And the way she said it, she was proud about America. We don't persecute Christians. And That was it. Here, I don't have to suffer for my faith. We've got a free nation. And he looked at her and he said, so where are you living out your faith? (laughs) Hoo-ha. He told us the story because the very next night she came up to him and she said, I realized you're right. She was living a good life, a respectable life. She didn't lie to people. She didn't steal. She had a respectable life. 
but she wasn't really being godly in sharing Christ. Because when you take that stand and you start sharing your faith and you really live it out, we're in the workplace, you're taking a stand for what's right. Even here in Hungary, I know a man that was fired from his job because he refused to cheat customers. And he was relieved from his job. A friend of ours called me up saying, please pray that I find a job. Because he refused to cheat his customers like his boss said. I don't care where you live, you're going to face stuff like that. It doesn't matter where you work. You're going to find times where you have to stand for what's right. Where you're going to have to proclaim the truth. Are you worthy? Are you following in obedience? Are you standing for Christ? As we come to the time of invitation, that's the main question I want to leave with you today. Because it really comes down to the obedience to following Christ's commands. Because if you obey Christ, you will be found worthy to suffer for His name. And you will have to at some point, at some level. May not be physical abuse. But some of you come from places where you know it's life and death to take a stand for what's wrong or what's right and to stand against what's wrong. But are you standing? If you live in a culture where it's easy to slip by by just being good and not doing bad things, are you taking a stance to proclaim the truth? Our praise team's going to come as we sing a hymn of invitation. Pastor John is here. I am here. That we'll pray with you uh, about anything. It's a time where you respond to what God is laying on your heart. Father, we thank you that you work in our hearts. And as we come to this time where we just want to focus back to you, I ask that you speak to each heart and reveal your message for each one. It's in Jesus' name.